Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, boring stuff out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to give us a hand, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, share the podcast on social media. And of course, speaking of social media, don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. I'm going to give everybody the heads up right now. I'm recording this during the Super Bowl. I meant to do this earlier this morning, but of course I got sidetracked. My wife is from New England, so if you hear screaming at the TV, that's what it is. But we're not here to talk about football. No, 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 no. We're here to talk about hockey. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. want to thank everyone for the positive feedback I got on the Jim McKenzie episode. I really enjoyed that. Like I said, he really gave some really good, like, inside the game kind of stuff that I never really thought about. Like, the whole part that he talked about with the NCAA and when he was younger playing for a contract, they would specifically target NCAA players as a Canadian guy because he was like, these guys have college degrees. Why are they going to go play in the minors for $30,000 a year when with their degree they can get paid fifty? They're the ones that are likely to quit. I-, I thought that was really interesting and definitely something I'd never thought about, nor do I think I would have ever even realized had it not been for Jim. But we talked about fighters last week. I thought we'd bring another one on this week. This week, we've got Darcy Hortichuk, and I love Darcy Hortichuk. What an awesome, awesome dude. We recorded this interview probably a few weeks ago, and I just had the best time, and I don't really know what I expected, but my takeaway from this, it really is true. The tougher they are, the bigger the heart. Darcy was so nice. He was so open. We talked about his 05-06 season with the Nashville Predators. And this was unique in itself just because this had just come off of the lockout, which took place for the 04-05 season when the entire season was lost, which hasn't happened since, thank God, and hopefully will never happen again. So that in itself created kind of a unique atmosphere. And we, we touch on that a little bit in the interview, but he also talks about some of the stresses of being an enforcer and as well as the pressure that you're under, not just as an enforcer, but as a player in the NHL when you're injured and having to trust other people in regards to your health. And as I said before, Darcy doesn't hold anything back. So we definitely talk about his fight with Sean Avery that took place during the 05-06 season. I think that's on part two, but we'll go ahead and get part one, Aaron. Now, please enjoy our interview with Darcy Hortichuk. You found your way to the Nashville Predators via the Florida Panthers. When the Panthers traded you to Nashville for a fourth-round pick, why did you think the Panthers were, or why did you think the Predators were so interested in acquiring your services? You know what? It it, it was kind of funny how how it all kind of worked out, but in my grade 11 class, when I was going to school in Dauphin, Manitoba, and played for the Dauphin Kings, I think it was grade 11 or grade 12, our school project was trying to figure out what was the name or what would be the logo uh, for the Nashville Predators, right? And I was always kind of confused. I'm like, how? who is this guy on the front of this, like, you know, when I played for Dauphin Junior A, who's this big picture of this face on this, like, print magazine that goes out before every game? And it was Barry Trotz. And I didn't know Barry Trotz at the time, but Barry actually grew up in my hometown in Camsack, Saskatchewan, and um, worked there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my, my, my phys ed teacher or my teacher was uh, Bruce Helgeson, 
who was really good friends with Barry Trotz because Barry lived in Dauphin. And next thing you know, you know, they're kind of communing, saying, communicating, saying, hey, listen, we have this project, uh, you know, why don't you guys give this out to your class? And then they started kind of, it was just kind of a fun thing. And then all of a sudden you fast forward, you know, eight years later and I'm playing for Nashville. But you know what? I think David Poyle at the time, um, from what I understand, was seeing a shift in the game for tough guys. And, he, you know, you, at that time when I was breaking in, you kind of needed tough guys that can get in there and run around and hit guys and were good skaters. And I think it was just perfect timing for me where Poyle thought the game was starting to change. And, you know, obviously he brought in Tutu, he brought in myself. He was trying to be ahead of the curve instead of just having that big heavyweight like most teams had. They wanted to kind of bring in somebody that um, can play the game a little bit. And yeah, no, it just kind of worked out great where where I got a chance to come to Nashville. And you're not kidding. The game was changing. I mean, we had just been on a come off a lockout with the new CBA in place. And when you were picked up, you didn't have a contract at the time and you ended up signing a two year deal. Do you remember any of the negotiations for that 05, 06 season? Were they any different than prior years, given the lockout and the new CBA? You know what was funny is like every year I seem to be one of the first few guys signed. Like if you look back in, 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 in my track record, I don't know if it was because they were trying to get the tough guys out of the way and then all of a sudden or if because, you know, it was one of those things where they're just like, okay, you know, here we can get these guys. Their, their prices are pretty cheap for what they're doing in their role. Um, but no, like I, I, I ended up becoming really good friends with Peter Horachuk. Um played with him in uh, Orlando. Mm-hmm. So if you remember that, I was supposed to come back as an overage um, my my year with the Saskatoon Blades. And I had like six fights in preseason. And Peter Horchuk, he's like, listen, you're not going anywhere. You're staying <laughs> up with you're staying up with us. We just got to get your contract signed. And I was like, what do you mean we got to get my contract signed? He's like, well, you get a signing bonus. And once you sign, then – so I called my agent. I'm like, listen, I don't care what I sign for my bonuses – I just want to be in Orlando. Like I want to be where it's beautiful outside and where it's sunny. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy how it all worked out. Then Peter ended up getting the job in Nashville. And then, you know, it's kind of a small world. If you track wherever I played, I've always kind of had some ties back to Nashville, right? Mike Santos went to the Florida Panthers. He was the assistant GM for Poyle. So I had him also kind of earlier in my career in Nashville. So it's kind of one of these things where, People don't think in, in hockey, you know, it's, um, it's, it's like anything, right? You, people want good people on your team, and it, especially for tough guys. I think, you know, so many different tough guys had kind of issues maybe on or off the ice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough where, where I, you know, just a small, small, small town kid that grew up and, uh, you know, was an altar boy that uh, just loved to kind of stick up for his teammates and, um, you know, Growing, working up on the working on the farm for eight bucks an hour, picking rocks and shoveling green, um, was one of those things where I was just kind of like, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, if I got to fight this guy, if I got to do this, um, I just want to. I want to be in the National Hockey League. Training camp kicks off for the Predators, and Coach Barry Trotz says about ninety percent of the roster is set, but people are going to be competing with one another for that position. And you mentioned Jordan Tutu during the o three o four season. He was kind of the feel-good story for the Nashville Predators, but had a rough year during the lockout in the American Hockey League. With guys like that who are competing for the same position, is there ever any animosity or, or I don't want to say jealousy, but does that 
ever, you know, when you're competing for a similar role, does that ever cause issues with people? Well, here's the nice thing that I had. And I noticed when I played hockey, I was never really competing with anybody because I was a heavyweight. Jordan Tutu was never a heavyweight. Very true. Right. And Jordan Tutu made the team and I made the team. So where it's interesting is like, you know, in juniors with the Saskatoon Blades, I get a call from Brad McCrimmon and he's like, when you're, when I was playing juniors, he said, Darcy, okay, listen, there's three guys you have to fight if you want to make the team. And I was like, oh, who's one of them? And he's like, well, Steve McIntyre. Well, Steve McIntyre, everybody now realizes, you know, he's six foot five farm boy. What people didn't realize is that I, I fought him three times in camp to make that Saskatoon Blades team. And they kept both of us. And ended up trading us. But it's tough to have animosity because mm-hmm. you respect each other so much. I think there's more animosity between other guys in the lineup, right? Because you're competing for power play time. You're competing for uh, a spot in the lineup. I really, everybody knew who I was. When I came to a team, everybody's like, holy crap, we're not competing with you. You can have the job. <laughs> you can have the role. So I was kind of what, you know, what uh, on most teams, I try to be kind of like, like the guy in the locker room that was the glue, had fun, didn't, didn't have any really benefits on either side of it. Just wanted do my job, stick up for the guys. And um, so, yeah, like me coming to Nashville that year, not once that I think I was competing with Jordan Tutu, you know, and, and if I thought I was, then I would have fought him, you right. know, and that's what I, that's what I did in Atlanta was, you know, I went to, to camp and Denny Lambera, um, I don't know if you remember this story, but the story kind of went viral where we were in the bathroom together and I kind of timed it. So when he went in the bathroom and he was peeing and I was peeing and I kind of go, Hey, Mr. Lambera, do you mind if we fight? And he's like, sure. You know, <laughs> and, 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 um, you know, during all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the drop of the puck, he told his coach and I told my coach and we just squared off. And cause I didn't want to, as a young guy coming into the league or coming into the teams, you don't want to piss people off because right. you're having lunch with them after and you're loving. And I, I respected these guys' roles and it was, uh, um, you know, and we had a great fight. We ended up, you know, Denny helped me get in the NHL because, you know, I, I was showing people that, listen, um, I'm not scared to fight these guys. And then I fought Jeff Rogers, who I kind of grew up idolizing and was from my neck of the woods. And he, he, me and him were roommates and he took me under his wing. And then all of a sudden when I got traded, he was my first fight, you know, when I came back and, and uh, played against him and he was in Atlanta and I was on a different team or, you know, or I was in Atlanta, one of the two things, but um, yeah. So, you know, there was so much respect for other guys because you realize what they're doing right in their role. You're kind of like, Hey, I, I understand how hard it is, and people don't understand. Ninety percent of the fights aren't because I want to fight Jeff Rogers or one of the heavyweights. It's because Sean Avery was running around and he wouldn't fight. So then I go after him, or I go after other skilled teammates on his team, and then whoever's on his team is defending those players. And next thing you know, we have to fight each other. You know, I definitely, definitely want to touch on Sean Avery, and it was interesting that you. Also talked about the respect factor. I did an interview with Barrett Jackman, and I don't know if you heard this story. Barrett went to training camp, and one of the scouts came up to him and said, what the hell are you doing? You're, you're doing nothing. Get out there and be a prick. And so he went and fought Dallas Drake, and when he got done, he had to meet Doug Waite in the locker room. He had to meet Keith Kachuk. These guys wanted to kill him for that exact reason that you talked about. It's like you want to play with these guys. You, you respect them, but at the same time, it's just a weird balance to me, and it sounds like you handled it pretty well. Yeah, you know what? Like, um, one of my best friends that I grew up in the in the minors and uh, juniors and played Garnet Axelby. Um, you know, it's kind of a crazy story with, with with him, right? Here's a guy that I, I 
grew up playing with. We actually were dating our girlfriends at the same time. And, um, you know, Shannon, who at the time was dating Garnet, was my wife's best friend, moved down there for like four or five years to Atlanta. And here we are. I'm out of the lineup with an injury. And he's on the other team. He's playing for the Thrashers at the time. And he ends up, you know, beating up one of the guys in the team when I was out of the lineup. So when I came back in the lineup, my job was to go send the message back. Right. You've got to, yeah. Yeah, I'd let him know. So he didn't want to fight me at the time. So he's like, Horty, you know I'm not going. And I'm like, well, you, you can't be running around still. Like, I still got to defend my team. You can't, this is not a buddy pass. And so I went back to the bench and I'm like, listen, he can't fight. He's got a banged up hand. Trying to defend the guy because I didn't want to fight him. Right. You know, I didn't want to, because, you know, we, we, there's an instance, most guys I, I didn't care because I didn't have that relationship, but it was, and then all of a sudden he beats up Lyle Odeline at the time. And so then go. I go back on the ice and I'm like, buddy, okay, we got to go. So he suckers me, splits me open for five stitches. Oh. And I like, I, 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 I like unload on this kid. And I knew everything he did because I kind of taught him in juniors how to get the spin and how to get guys off balance. So if you look at the fight, I kind of hit him with this uppercut and I kind of stagger him a little bit and hit him again. And I think I gave him a concussion for like six months. It was during the lockout. So after the game, we talked to each other. But then after that, we just kind of lost touch. And, um, you know, I think he kind of took it a little bit personal. But it's tough because that's part of my job, right? right? And most of the guys would go grab a beer after and kind of like, okay, hey, whatever, you know, no hard feelings. But um, so it's, it is a fine line. But at the same time, if, if you don't do it, then somebody else is going to take your job. And, and that's why I think I lasted as long as I did in the NHL was because I knew my role. And I knew that, you know, just because I got two goals one game or I got a goal one game, the coaching staff didn't care about that. I wasn't there to score goals. I was there to set the temple and change the momentum and uh, protect my teammates. You set the temple during preseason with camp started. First St. Louis Blues in a preseason game, you end up squaring off with Reed Lowe. I know yep. you spent some time in Scotland during the lockout, though, but but how hard was it to get adjusted to playing in the NHL again? I mean, you had taken the year off previously due to the lockout. Were, were guys having trouble? Were you having trouble? You know what? So here's – I don't think a lot of people know this, but but – that that lockout, what happened is I ended up breaking my hand on Garnet Exelby, that, that fight that I just talked about. Oh, man, so it goes full circle. So, so I ended up breaking my my hand in that fight, and then the team says, hey, listen, your, your hand's going to be perfect. It's okay. That's normal. Sign off. So I kind of sign off at the time uh, on my hand thinking, okay, it's pins. It's going to be okay once the pins come out but realized that, holy crap, my, my fingers really messed up. So the team said, well, you know what? At the time, it was the, the Florida Panthers, uh, you know, you, you, you signed off, everything's good. But I was just listening to kind of the staff to say, okay, hey, listen, like, is it really good? Is this normal? I know what pain is, and this is more than pain. And all of a sudden, I found myself, holy crap, I can't, I can't even hold a stick. Like this is like, it's, it's, it's weird. Like I could hold a stick cause it wasn't impinging. The pins weren't pinching on my finger, but when I try to push down and make a knuckle, the pins were coming all the way through and kind of pushing and, and hit my bone. So then I realized, okay, I need to go get these out. So I need, I went for a second opinion and the doctor's like, man, I can't believe whoever did this or whatever did this. Oh, and I'm like, no. I'm like, I need you to go on record and say this, but you know how it is with doctors and that. It's kind of tough. So at the time, Mike Keenan was my coach in Florida, and I go back to the organization and say, hey, like something's wrong here, you know. 
And they said, well, you signed off like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but I need rehab. I need to get this thing taken care of, you know, had I known this or that. So ended up having to, you know, fight the team. And then I, I settled with them so that because I, I went and paid for my own surgery, I had to go pay for everything to get my pins out and went to a, a specialist in Baltimore. So here I am during the lockout, everybody's playing. And how do I play? How do I go to Europe or England? You could you know, do anything. One of those, I couldn't do anything. And, and a few of the tough guys were going because at the time, those are the only leagues that would have taken me because uh, I was a fighter, right? So I could have played in England and could have played in some of these other leagues, but I couldn't fight because my hand was still jacked. So it was this catch-22. Really, thank God it was a, it was a lockout because I wouldn't have been, play, been able to play during the season. So yeah, I kind of had to rehab during this whole lockout and, and had to get these pins pulled out. So in, in a way, it was kind of a... a a blessing that there was a lockup because I was able to get my hand somewhat back to normal, but it's still, it's still messed up to this day where if, if I punch something like there's no movement in that knuckle, right? It's kind of seized up from just the pins being in there left too long, you know, and, and you, obviously from the punch too, but. And you ended up going the rest of your career with this. Yeah. So if you look at my fights that, you know, I, I thought my career was kind of done after this because I used to go left, lefts, right, rights, lefts. And I, I just couldn't do it anymore because my hand was jacked up. And this is really in my career well where – I mean, yeah, you, you were know, still young. You were in your early 20s at this point. Exactly. Where, holy crap, I can't throw my left anymore. And that's where I surprised a lot of guys was, you know, throwing that left at the, at the beginning or throwing that right. So, you know, and, and kind of a funny story. Everybody's like, well, how did you learn how to throw left? In my juniors, when I ended up jacking my thumb up, they put a cast on. And the, my coach on the team said, Darcy, I don't care if you, you, you don't play a shift. We can't let the other team know your hand's bad. Just sit <laughs> on the bench. You're just sitting on the bench. And then finally, I'm like, coach, throw me out there. I don't care. If I got to fight, I'm just going to – I won't drop my right hand glove. I see where this I'll is going. I'll go throw less. You know, so all of a sudden, I was fighting guys, and I was like holding on to my – for my life with my right hand that I had a glove on. And then my left, I was just trying to throw jackhammers, but I couldn't throw. It was like – you know, when you never threw a left in your life. And then all of a sudden I'm like, bang, I kind of dropped this guy. And then all of a sudden I was like, bang. So when my hand healed, I ended up feeling more confident throwing my left because I just hadn't used my right because it was, you know, in a cast for a while, right? And you can't fight with a cast. So then fast forward now to now, here I am. I've got my left hand kind of mangled. So I, I still threw my left once in a while, but it was kind of knowing that, okay, if I hit him with my left, it was more to distract them that it was going to hurt, you know, and so Darcy, yeah. basically what, what I think we need to do is you and I need to get in the business of doing a hockey camp to teach enforcers how to fight. And our trick is going to be to tie one guy's arm around his back. Cause it sounds like to me, if you hadn't had that one hand cast it up, you would have never learned how to fight with your left. Of course not. It's like anything in life, right? If you have that fear and oh my God, I mean, you got to get pushed over that edge. You have to learn how to be like, okay, I know I'm going to take some lumps or I'm going to take some, but why would you, when you're, you're comfortable throwing your right and you're getting away. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're getting away. Yeah. You're getting away with having success. I was having success with my right. I didn't need to throw my left. So people don't realize they're like, well, how did you become an enforcer? I was an enforcer since I was 15 years old. You don't realize in that bantam draft, you're getting drafted kind of for a little bit of that rule. That's your puzzle with the team. And then all of a sudden when you're drafting the NHL draft, now you're in that model. So just when you think you're kind of a good player, like a Chris Neal or some of these guys, they're kind of looking at you going, hey, what are you doing? Like, 
we understand you can score goals, but this is we not need why this, you're here. This is not this why is not you're here. Why, exactly. You know, I remember uh, one time uh, Keenan, Mike Keenan, grabbed my my made me stand up in the in the in the dressing room, and he, he made me turn around, and he's like, "What number is on the back of your jersey?" And I'm like, 16. He's like, "That's right." So don't you ever try to make that cross ice pass again. Get it deep and hit, guys. That's your role. And I was kind of like, oh, my God. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Especially because it's from Mike Keenan, of all people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so you kind of learn in the game. And, and so many enforcers didn't want to do that. So many enforcers kind of, they would have success and they would kind of ride that fine line and maybe forgot to fight when they should have fought and maybe forgot to stick up for their teammates when they did. And there's always kind of somebody lurking in the weeds in the minors that is willing to do it. Willing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Back on the Nashville Predators, you weren't the only newcomer to this team. During the offseason, the Nashville Predators made a splash and picked up an impact player. They ended up taking Paul Correa, who was really the first franchise player that the Nashville Predators ever have. Scott Hartnell was later say that he remembered talking to a lot of his friends and saying, we got Paul Correa. That's one of those names that was up there with Wayne Gretzky or Steve Eiserman. I know you weren't there the season before, so you can't really compare, but how do you think getting Paul Correa impacted the franchise? You know what? Paul Correa was such a professional. He was one of these guys that took the game so serious. And I'd be I'd, I'd go to I'd see him in the hallway and he had a piece of sandpaper and he would just go on the top, the end of his knob of his stick, and he would just sand it like three, four times. And then he'd put all four sticks together and I'd be like, That's it. Holy crap. Paul, what are you what are you doing? You just kind of wiped that one four or five times, and 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 he had that OCD personality mm-hmm. where everything at every time, like he was the epitome of an athlete. Like when it when when the clock would get down to nine thirty five, he would turn around, he would do the same thing. He'd put his right leg in first, and and it's funny because as a player, who me one stick was an inch smaller. The next game I'd be using a different stick. Whoever scored that game, I'd be using their hockey stick. I was kind of all over the map, but to see the guys that had true success in the league, you're kind of like, okay, I get it. This is what it takes. You know what I mean? On game days, Paul was so funny. Like he would even go upstairs on game days. Like he wouldn't go upstairs. He would take an elevator anywhere he had to go. And we would always, we'd always joke his, his wife, uh, his girlfriend at the time, uh, Valerie, I think he's still with uh, uh, Valerie. She would say, okay, if I ever get in a fight with Paul, I'm just going to go up the stairs and I know he's not going to come. And, you know, so he is just, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Paul. He, he He's not only a great guy uh, um, in the locker room, he's a great guy off the ice. And I, I was going to um, say, I've heard he's a lot of fun. Uh, there is one yep. story. I heard there was a story that for a long time he was making millions and he was living like just an everyday person. And he didn't care. Like he, that was just him. Is that true? A hundred percent. He was driving his vehicle that he won in the all-star game for like seven years after he won it. And now he was still trying, you know what? And, and I'll never forget this quote. And now it makes sense. He goes, Darcy live like no other and you will live like no other. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was and, one of a kind. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? I just visited Paul a few years ago and he's got this beautiful house off the ocean in Dana point. And He's just enjoying life and, and he got it. Like he got the big picture where, you know, so many people, when you get in the game, you get caught up in it and you just think, okay, I have all this money and you do have all this money, but you have all of it now. And the difference between rich and wealthy is 
you know, rich is people that make a lot of money in, you know, sports or for a short time or wherever they make it. And wealthy is when you have a lot of money and it's working for you. Paul Nahuada doesn't have to uh I'll say you never have and, to worry again. Yeah. After a few games and practices, you've kind of probably at this point in the season been able to, we're still early on, been able to kind of form formulate kind of what kind of team this is. How would you define the Nashville Predators of this era? You know what? I, we we had some great names. We were kind of um, a little bit of everything, right? We had our fourth line, which was me, Tutu, and uh, I forget who was their son. Scott Nickel? Yeah, Scotty Nickel, right? Mm-hmm. Who was another mucker and grinder. So we kind of had a little bit of the, the sandpaper, but then we had that, that, that skill up front, you know? And we thought that that would, we, you know, we even came out with all these slogans during the playoffs. It's, it's our time. And um, we thought that we were going to be a team to reckon with. And, you know, we were a team to reckon with. I think at the time we even had, was it Jason Arna? Was he on that team? I think uh, Jason Arna might have been the next year. I think this was the okay. year where Brennan Witt came on. Okay, Brennan Witt, yeah. We thought that, you know, we had everything it t- took. And, but you know how it is. It's just yeah. one of those things where the other goalie gets hot or the other team gets that bounce. And, you know, unfortunately, we kind of fell a little bit short. And I think Detroit knocked us out that year at the time. And and um, that happens. That happens. But yeah. the most important question I'm going to ask you, Darcy, before we kind of roll through the regular season, is there was a ton of media coverage on you. And this one article I've got to ask, did you ever get to meet Jessica Simpson, the person you most wanted to meet when you were quoted in the Tennessean? Is that who I said? <laughs> no, you know what? That's too funny. I uh, I must have been watching the reality shows back then. But uh, you know what? I met a lot of cool people in my time in Nashville and a lot of, you know, fun, fun groups of people, country singers and uh, other athletes. And uh, but you know what you realize? They're all the same. And They're they all just the same. Want to be, they want to be the same. And. You know, if anything, you, when you have all this and you get all this, you become insecure and you lose who you are and you lose what life is really about. And you just, you you put your pants on the same way and people just want want to be treated like that. And that's the fun thing about Nashville. That city is that nobody cares. You see celebs out all the time. You see people out all the time, you know. And it doesn't and, matter. Uh, it doesn't and it matter. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe they got a nicer car than you. Maybe they got a bigger house. But what is all that for? It's just more of a headache. So, Opening night for the Nashville Predators against the San Jose Sharks, and you were not given a sweater. We're not going to go game by game, but I do want to touch on your debut because you were playing with Scott Nickel and Jeremy Stevenson. And I know we talked a little bit about Nickel, but but Stevenson we really haven't talked about. What was your chemistry like with these two? Now that now you're bringing back flashbacks. So now, Jeremy Stevenson, I'm trying to take his job, right? Ah. Because Jeremy, Jeremy Stevenson is the tough guy. And if you look at the guys that he fought... He is the heavyweight. So really, I just think at the time, you know, I probably had Peter Horachuk in my corner pushing for me. And um, I'm coming to camp. The only thing I have on Jeremy is, is that I'm younger than him, you know. So I'm coming to camp. I'm younger than him. And, you know, because Jeremy was actually, he would put the puck in the net. You know, I don't know if he, he wanted to fight as, as much as they probably wanted him to because he was, he, was, he was actually a skilled player, you know? Right. So, so yeah, no, that was who I was really fighting with for, for a spot now that you say that. Um, but, yeah, it was great. Like, it's kind of nice. That era was, was nice when you had two guys on the team because the pressure is off you. You, you can, can intimidate. It, yeah. yeah, you can kind of intimidate the other team because it's, 
you got two guys now that can fight. And he would go after a guy, and then I'd go after the same guy, and we'd put the fire out right away. But when it's only you and the other team that's two tough guys, you're kind of like, oh, my God, even if I beat this guy up and my hands are all mangled, i got to fight this guy the next one. You it's know what I mean? Because he's not going to... It's all yeah, on you. It's, and I think people don't realize the pressure of it. Like, there was nights before games that you don't sleep, and everybody's like, well, Darcy, how do you get this foundation of religion in your life? I'm like, well, I, I had to have religion. You had to have religion. something to cope. Exactly. I'm like, man, I got to read the Bible. I got to, like, why am I on this journey in life? I'm not supposed to be a tough guy in the NHL. I didn't grow up saying, oh, my God, I'm, I, I love Bob Probert. I grew up just saying I love playing hockey and was a small-town kid, didn't really – you know, idolize hockey, just played it. Like I didn't know, I don't even like to watch hockey. Really? You know, and all of a, yeah. And all of a sudden now I'm, I'm in the NHL and all the odds were against me. I mean, if you look at, I wasn't even drafted as a 19, uh, uh, as an 18 year old. I led, like was one of the top five guys in the league in, in fights in the WHL because anybody that got drafted, I'm like, I'm going to fight them. Okay. Todd Fedoric, I'm going to fight him. Eric Goddard, I'm going to fight him. Steven Pete was drafted third round to Washington. I'm going to fight him. So I started fighting all these guys, and you know how I got drafted? As a 19-year-old, Brad McCrimmon calls, okay, this is when I'm like leading the league. He calls the Atlanta Thrashers and said, hey, take this kid like in the last round. We don't care. He's got heart. He'll do whatever you want him to do. He's a good kid. And next thing you know, my name's in the draft. As a 19-year-old, there's three of us as a 19-year-old drafted that year or four of us, and next thing you know, I'm in the NHL as a 20-year-old. So I, everybody's like, oh, my God, did you ever dream of being in the NHL? I, I, didn't, I didn't care about hockey. I, didn't, I just love the You just love playing and, the, and being yeah. with the boys. That's what you love. Exactly. Yeah, and everybody's like, oh, my God, you miss hockey. I don't miss it one day. I don't even watch it. The only reason I go to hockey games now is because I have a camper that's 35 feet, and all the kids want to go to the hockey game in my bus. So every birthday party down here, it's the new <laughs> thing. Let's go in Hordacek's camper to the hockey game. But, you know, hockey is one of those things where it's such a good team sport and everybody's like, man, what do you want your kid to play in the NHL? I'm like, no, it's great to play in the NHL. But at the end of the day, here, here you are, you make the NHL, you get all these wonderful things, you get this high in your life, and then all of a sudden it's taken away. And it always gets taken away. And you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, what do I mean? I mean mm-hmm. that we're in this journey of life I would, you know, for my son, I want him when he's 20 years old to start building his company and grinding it and go through these different stages of life. Instead, when he's five, he's going to start over again and say, when everybody's selling their companies off or everybody's got, you know, and it's like you're starting over. Yeah, you're starting over like a second life at 32. And it's you have no and I don't mean to knock NHL players when I say this, but you have no real academic skills. I mean, exactly. most people didn't go to college. Some do now, but I, I can definitely understand that. Hey, I, I'm telling you, and, and it's not even for, it's the people that have money and the people that made it, they're lost because you have this mm-hmm. identity shift. Like you're trying to hang out near your neighborhood, obviously. And people are like, Hey, let's go to, um, you know, Fridays or whatever. And you're like Fridays, uh, well, well, let's go to Ruth Crisp and Morton's. Like, that's what you've been doing since you've been 20 years old, all these nice steakhouses and restaurants and and then you're like, well, let's go do this. And we're like, well, actually, we're going to go to Disneyland and we're going to go and we have the whole park, you know, to ourselves where we have a guide. You just you can't relate to to what the average person's going through because everybody loves you and everybody puts Cause you. Because you're not average. You're not no, the exactly. average person. Yeah. And you get you get whatever you want and everybody wants. So when you get this taken away, the, the thing that it worked in my favor I was grinding my whole career. Mm-hmm. I was making five to eight hundred thousand. 
that's not a lot of money. It's it, after, you know, everybody's like, well, that, that is a lot. Well, think about it. Well, this. you pay your agent, you pay the taxes, you pay your workouts, exactly. all that. It really gets worn down quick. And I know you also, you were still grinding off the ice. Weren't you investing in houses as well? Man, I was grinding. And that's the only thing that kind of like made me realize, holy crap, like this is life. So the problem with me was everybody, like if you look at oil change when they're making this deal and they're trying to trade for me from, I think it was from the Canucks to the Oilers. Mm-hmm. They're like, man, do we take this kid? Because... He's not really focused on hockey. He's, you know, trying to and, – and Tanner Glass said at the best. I talked to him, you know, I think eight months ago. He's Darcy goes, do you remember the day when we started playing together? He's like, we were talking about what we're going to do after hockey. Like, I'd be like, hey, Tanner, we got to start a business. Like, we got to – and that was like three years into my career, and I ended up having a 13-year you know, career, thank God. But every day I was in the NHL, it was kind of like – it was like surreal, and I was always like planning on, you know – and and – it was kind of to my default a little bit, but I was doing every appearance. I was networking. I was like, you know, getting. You were setting up for after hockey. You were preparing for life exactly. after hockey. Exactly. The day that I started in the NHL, I was preparing for after. And 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 you're gonna love this story, but I was acting like an agent for all the players. So I was doing car deals in Vancouver because nobody at the time when I came to Vancouver had a car deal. The honest to God's truth, and I would call dealerships and say, Hey, listen. Would you like to do a car deal for Darcy Hurdo, Hordachuk, and Alex Burroughs? And they would say, you know what? They're like, you know what? We don't do car deals. I'm like, what do you mean you don't do car deals? And they're like, well, it's 15 grand for the year for a car. And I said, well, no problem. Here's what we'll do it's five grand in appearance. We do three appearances. We have the cards made up with, you know, your logo on them. The players come in. And so I would have to teach these dealerships. And I called like 10 different dealerships and nobody said, everybody said, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden I was like, why don't we go to the green? We ended up going, getting one of these BMWs that at the time was the, the diesel. You know how you go green? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, let's let me call this company. And they ended up giving us a car deal. And here's the best part. They didn't know they were talking to me. They thought I was talking to an agent. And I said, <laughs> okay, let's do Alex Burroughs and Darcy Hortich. They're like, well, we don't want Al- we don't want Alex Burroughs. We want, or we don't want Darcy Hortich. We want Alex Burroughs and Luongo. And I'm like, yeah, but Luongo, <laughs> 15 grand an hour. And I'm like, he won't stay after the autograph session. After the three hours is up, he's going to want to be out of there. Darcy's great. And they're like, well, let me run it up to corporate, right? So, so at the time, we were getting shut down all the time, you know, and then finally they said, okay, we'll take Alex and Darcy. Oh and then I ended, up getting, I ended up getting Luongo and McLaren, you know, the, the doors go up. And then I ended up getting twins, the twins, the Sedin twins, Sedin twins uh, uh, yep. the uh, Volvo cars. So then Alex Burroughs comes up to me and he goes, Darcy, I want you to negotiate my stick deal. I just seen the contract at, at my house. He goes, I want you to negotiate my stick deal. Be my agent. I negotiated his stick deal with Warrior for three years. For three years, I ended up negotiating. His, and I was talking to both Bauer and Warrior. And I knew both of the reps. But I was talking and saying, okay, it's okay. You don't have to do the, the 15 grand in merchandise for his charity during the summer or whatever. You know what? We're, I, I, we're going to just talk to Bauer and I know that. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so at the time, I think I got him like 55,000 plus, you know, a year or whatever. And nobody was getting that kind of stuff, right? And they were trying to say that Vancouver was kind of a B market because it wasn't Edmonton and Toronto and all I would say, well, bull yeah. crap. You know, they would ha- send the contract and it would say it's a, you know, and but if you get traded to Florida, then the money drops. And I'm like, no, 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 that no. Does, no, that's not, no, yeah. no, that's not the yeah. deal. So, so it was kind of cool, you know, and if you ever talk to Burroughs and some of these guys, they like, 
that that's the kind of relationship I had in the locker room because it was fun. It was challenging, you know? Well, Darcy, I, I have to ask you, and then we'll get back on topic. And this is just more me asking, why didn't you yeah. become an agent? I mean, you would have been great at that. You know what it is? It's so tough to pierce that circle. Fair enough. And when you're an agent, it's you learn a lot of stuff that you're kind of like, hmm, I wonder, hmm, okay. And the agent is sending people to their you know, insurance guy and mm-hmm. saying, you got to buy this whole life insurance. And you're like, well, what about like Dave Ramsey says, in ter- what about the term? Why don't we just buy the term? Well, obviously the commission kickbacks probably aren't as much. So, so you kind of learn some different things. And, and, and here's the thing. It's like that in everything, right? In right. life. That's the way life is, you know? So it's just really, really tough. And when you're 16 years old and you've got, you know, say uh, Austin Matthews calling to say, use your agent, you know, then you're going to use that agent because you're 16 and the parents are like, oh my God, Austin Matthews. And they're like, well, who are you using? So the, the big 10 guys with these agencies that have everybody, they get taken care of. And then everybody else, else is kind of fighting for the scraps. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I will tell you like, you know what? Uh, shout out to my agent, Steve Kotlowitz. Incredible man. Good guy. You know what? He just the most incredible human. I think at the time I went through three different agents and I finally went to Martin Jelena when I was in Nashville, when I played with Marty, I said, Marty, who is your agent? You've been in the league 14 years. Who do you trust and who do you use? And he's like, here it is. Here's the guy, Steve Kotlowitz. Didn't meet him, didn't anything. I just called him on the phone and I said, hey, will you take me? And he said, I'd love to. And that's how it worked. And that's how it worked. Just as I hit record, I hear a what the? And it's my wife, of course. The Super Bowl is on. I think I probably need a thunder jacket with all the yelling that's going on. I have no idea if it's going to show up on the podcast or not, but if it does, I apologize. I love talking to Darcy, as I said. I can't wait for you guys to hear part two. We dive into Sean Avery. We talk more about the Nashville Predators, kind of going through the season, stuff like that. I think everyone will really enjoy it. We'll pick his interview back up on Thursday at 8 a.m. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week.